podcast. My name is Barbara Ginty and I am your host and also a CFP, which I'm sure you all know by now as a certified financial planner. And I am here tonight with my guest who has an awesome name. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Penny Pincher. <laughs> We've had some really fun names so far this season. Um, we also had Summer Jones, which is the daughter of Dow Jones. Um, and I feel like you got a good uh, fake name as well. So we always start off by saying how old you are, what, uh, how much you make in income, where you're located, city or um, a rural area, and um, kind of what your general job title is. Cool. Uh, well, my name is Penny Pincher again. I am 31 years old. I live in an urban area in San Francisco, and I work as a software engineer. And my income is really interesting and that I have a lot of incentive-based income. So my annual salary or my annual take-home, my annual gross can be anywhere from $300,000 to $700,000. Whoa, that is a big swing. Yeah. So last year, my um, there were a lot of positive events that happened that I was able to contribute to. And so as a result of that, my income was close to $700,000. But this year, I'm expecting my income to be closer to 300,000. Okay. Very nice. And and that's just from your main job. Do you have a side hustle? Who doesn't have a side hustle? <laughs> we have lots of side hustles. <laughs> yeah, so I um, you know, there's so many, you know, ways to kind of scratch your itches and obviously as a, as an engineer, that's one side of my brain and then the other side of my brain is really focused on the arts. I did a lot of theater in high school and college and really enjoyed it and also love the physical arts. So a couple, uh, three years ago, I started a small art company and we sell custom paintings. Oh, that is so cool. So let's go over. So we normally also then go over. So your income is going to swing a little bit. So how do you do with, with budgeting? So budgeting is, I feel pretty good about budgeting. So um, as my name suggests, I'm pretty frugal, live a pretty simple life. So what, because San Fran's a pretty, like Manhattan, because we have a lot of guests from uh, Manhattan, is a pretty expensive place. Do you rent or do you own? Uh, So until last year, I had been renting. And then late last year, I purchased uh, my first home in San Francisco. Congratulations. That's a big deal. Thank you. It's a little terrifying. It's Um, a big responsibility. It's like really adulting. It's a big responsibility. Yeah, we, I've had a lot of friends say like, oh my gosh, you're really planting roots. I'm not from the West Coast. I'm from the South. And um, buying a place here was, you know, both from an economic and um, personal finance perspective, a big move, but also emotionally kind of laying my roots in, in a city that's so far from my family was um, kind of a big, a big deal for, for 20, 2018. I'm sure. And did you do buy it on your own? I bought it with my partner. Oh, fantastic. Okay, great. And, um, so what is your, so that's usually the biggest part of someone's budget, right? Is the mortgage or rent? Is that the case or what is? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I said I was really good at budgeting, but I actually don't know my numbers. Oh, okay. Very (laughs) frugal. Um, I think I, I think my monthly, um, outgoing expenses are somewhere between five and $6,000 on a given month. And almost all of that is, um, for the the house at this point uh between um both both maintaining the house and paying down the mortgage the mortgage and, and, do, you, and do you know about your mortgage you know if you did a 15 year or 30 year and do you know yeah, that, right? did, 
I, we did a uh, 7-1 adjustable rate mortgage. Um, okay. it, it is, it's considered a 30-year mortgage, but um, the rate can adjust after the, or on the seventh year. Yep. Um, so this is, yeah. Okay. And then do you know what, what it adjusts at? Oh Lord, it can go up to like some horrific number. I don't even <laughs> want to think about it yet. So my plan, my plan and, and the plan, I think that, that what I, you know, read and what I understand from, from other people that, that do these types of, of mortgages is you, you plan to refinance in year six yep. um, or sell. And so one of the things that kind of astounded me when I was looking for a home was kind of the numbers on how frequently, especially urban people, um, the numbers are really astounding on how, how often people buy and sell homes nowadays. I think when the 30 year mortgage was kind of invented, it was a time when people bought a house and that was the house for the rest of their lives. But um, urban people and kind of career oriented people, I, I, I'm very open to moving to other cities. And so it's very possible that I would sell my house before that seven year mark. And if I don't, then my plan would be to refinance. Okay. Yeah. Cause just for the listeners at home. So the adjustable rates can be a little scary because you don't know what they're going to raise your interest rate on your mortgage in that seventh year. And so then your mortgage payment, most likely in the interest rate environment that we're in, it'll be higher. So your mortgage payment would go up. So the nice thing though about those, um, you know, not that I'm selling these, so I don't know why I'm advertising for it, but <laughs> the, the nice thing about the adjustable rate mortgage is the rate that we got was, was lower. really low. Yep. So that that's normally what they do. So they give you a lower rate and then they have the option to move it up in that seventh year and the reset. Um, it's also really common because I have an adjustable rate mortgage because mine's a commercial mortgage. And so commercial mortgages are typically adjustable rates. And then usually as a first time home buyer, as you were saying, if you're going to stay longer, it makes sense to do a 15 year or or 30 year, but since you you know how it works, it's a, a totally a great option to get the lower interest rate. So that and then you know in that sixth year you need to reevaluate things. So it's a lot to learn, right? Did you find out about the closing costs? That was like something that I think shocks a lot of people. So okay, so you you mostly talk to people from Manhattan. So closing costs in New York are insane. Um, closing costs in San Francisco are like a drop in the bucket. I think my total closing costs were like six or seven thousand dollars. Wow! Oh my god, that's am- that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we, we should all be buying out there. <laughs> yeah, I've heard the horror stories. It actually, um, yeah. So the the size of um, home purchase that we were looking at, um, you start looking at percents, and you're like, God, that, that number seems that that percent seems so small, but when you multiply it by this number, it suddenly becomes massive. So we were really nervous about closing costs, but it ended up being about six grand. Yeah, that's not bad at all. And then now you're going to be building equity in the city that you're living in, which is fantastic. Very excited about that. And actually, the home that I purchased is a two-unit building. So we uh, live in one of the two units. Um, it's flat style, and flat just means, like, the entire floor of the, of the, of the building. Um, so we live in the lower flat, and we have tenants that we've moved into the upper flat. Um, That's that right. So, that, so you have two side hustles. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, landlording is, um, it, you know, there's a lot of tools nowadays that make landlording a lot more approachable, um, but also it's really approachable because the people that are our tenants know that this is our home and are very respectful of the property, and we're right here, so if they ever need us, we're, you know, we're not so far away that we ever feel helpless in terms of helping them with repairs or um, communicating with them. That's fantastic. Oh, so that's great. That, and that, that's fantastic because then that will help cover the cost of the mortgage and everything and offset hopefully some of the cost. Absolutely. It's fantastic. We, we were looking um, at single family homes, which obviously would be you know, most people's you know, primary uh, or like preferred choice. 
But for us, single family homes are in, in, in San Francisco, at least such a premium because people that don't want the side hustle of being a landlord are mm -hmm. willing to pay a premium to just own their property, own the land and be done with it. And so we were able to, so it was, um, so it was more affordable to go or more economical to go to the two family for that correct. area. Yep. Yeah. I think it's fantastic if you're, if you're willing to do the extra work, because as you said, there's definitely a lot of technology that makes it easier. And the fact that you're living there makes it a, a little bit easy from logistics standpoint, right? So you can let someone in. You don't have to hire someone to be there if there's going to be a repair or something. Um, and then it helps offset some of the cost. Yeah, it actually helps offset a lot of the cost. Rents in San Francisco, um, just like property values, are, are high. And so our tenants are helping us pay about half of our mortgage. Wow, that's fantastic. That's a real side hustle. Uh, well, I actually would say it's a lot less work than the than the other business hustle. than the other side hustle. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes that happens, right? Like this is bringing in so much more value, and yet you know, I think you people that do side hustles. There's a lot of reason that people you know pursue side hustles. For me, I just had to scratch this itch. The arts are so important in my life and so important uh, to me that it was really important to start this. And and also the the company that. Um, that we started with art is a social enterprise. So it also scratches my like karmic itch as well um, and reminds me of the value of giving back. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So you're able to do all of it. You're, God, you're busy with everything. So, so you have a mortgage, which is a very good type of debt, and you have your interest rate, and you understand that it's resetting, which is fantastic. Um, and then do you have any other debt? Do you have school loans or anything like that? Very luckily, uh, neither me nor my partner has any school debt. That is fantastic because it is awful, absolutely awful. So then how are we doing, how are you doing on saving? I think I'm doing well. Good. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Are you saving primarily through work? Are you in, do, you, do you have a 401k through your employer? Yes, I have a 401k through my employer and I've... Um, and do you have like an employee stock purchase plan or stock options or anything like that? Yes, and that's actually where the variable part of my compensation comes in. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm given at no cost to me stock options and those um, uh, or stock units restrict. They're called restricted. Restricted stock. stock yeah. So those uh, will obviously increase in value as the value of the company increases, and if there's material events that are happening, then that can increase you know pretty sharply um, or decrease. Right. There's always there's the risk. Yeah, well. that it goes down so, as well. Right. Exactly. Um, so I have been saving in my 401k since I, my very first job right out of college and I've kept rolling it into my, um, you know, current 401k. That's and how old were you when you got your first job with a 401k? Uh, I think I was 22 when I graduated from college. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So you've been saving this entire time. Been saving the whole time. And ah, I love it. We should have called you Penny the saver. Uh, well, I pinch and save. <laughs> Um, yeah, I try to be frugal and in every way, um, kind of think about the future. And, and I know it's a, it's coming, it's from a privileged position that I'm able to, to save that much. But I also tell people, um, you know, the, the quicker you can hide your money from yourself by yes, putting yes. it into a tax protected asset, the better you're able to kind of lower your standard of living such that you're living beneath your means and then you're able to save. So I, um, it's a hundred percent because I talk to people and it, the statistic is I think it's 70% of people live paycheck to paycheck. And what we often find on the podcast with the guest is that we can find the money in the budget 
And another issue that we see is that when you get people get a raise is they increase their standard of living. Yeah. Right out of the gate. And so then every, so you're never really getting ahead because you're never increasing your savings ratio. You know, I think it would be interesting to look at my spending habits over the last few years. Cause I do think the fact that my, my compensation is somewhat variable, it, at least intrinsically or subconsciously forces me to think about living at the, you know, in my worst case scenario. Well, as I was to say, because it swings so high in your mind, you're coming from a, a standpoint, are you planning on, okay, I'm going to make 300 and then if you make 700, great, I'm going to save it. Yes. That's fantastic. So tell me how much you have right now in your 401k. Where was it? When you last looked at it, 401k, I pulled up my personal capital account so that Perfect. this would be an easy chat. <laughs> um, I hope they're sponsoring your podcast. And if they aren't, you should just use that snippet. <laughs> Maybe we'll ask them if they want to sponsor. <laughs> so, oh gosh, I can't tell which one's which. 401k. Oh, 401k, 122. Perfect. Okay. 122,000, yeah? Yep, 122,000. And I have, um, so my previous 401ks, I have in a traditional IRA. Okay, so you, so every time you left, you just rolled it into the traditional? Yeah, I never rolled it into the new 401k. I don't really know why, but it ended up being actually a bad tax strategy because then I wasn't able to do any mega, any backdoor. Yeah, I was just, I was just about to say that we had talked about that on one of uh, yeah. our other podcasts, but because of that, you fall into the pro rata rule. Yep. So yep. I have, so that, um, you know, no one told me that I, you should have come on the podcast sooner. <laughs> I know Barb should have found you sooner in my life. I actually, um, I actually, uh, have learned my lesson from that mistake, but there's no way to like, yeah, there's unfortunately, yeah. okay, you're done. So the so only thing is in, in retirement though, you can do it in the future in retirement. You could do oh. Roth conversions. It's not backdoor Roth. It's a little different, but you'll be able to do it in, in the future. Nice. Because you'll aggregate every – you'd roll your 401k out, so you just have one IRA, and then you'll have nothing in a Roth. And then at that point, then you can do the Roth conversions in retirement because the it'll work better that way. Well, I also have a Roth now. So in my oh. the traditional IRA, I've got about 90000 and then I have a Roth that has 110000 How did you get into the Roth with one hundred and ten? I started putting money into my Roth IRA when I was 16 years old, and I was working my first job at Target. You are like our poster child here, Penny Pincher. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, you know, positives and negatives. That means I didn't have access to any of that capital when I was completely broke in college, so I ate a lot of ramen noodles. Yeah, but, but you survived, right? Survived. <laughs> You're still here. <laughs> Yeah, I was really lucky in that I had um, an economics teacher in high school, and um, I, I came from a family that didn't have a lot of kind of sophistication around finances. And so I asked my teacher, "What should I do? I work at Target. I have three thousand dollars in a bank account. What do I do with so it?" You asked your teacher and not your parents. I asked my teacher. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, because we talk a little bit on the podcast about how a lot of your habits are formed at home when you're growing up. So that's interesting that so you decided to ask. It was a her. It was a he. It was a he. Okay, you decided to ask him. And he told you to do a Roth? He told me to put it into a Roth IRA. No way. He did. That's incredible. Yeah, so I put it into a Roth IRA. How did you figure that out in high school? What did you do? Because that's um, like pre-Google, right? Because we're, you're like an older millennial. I am an elder millennial. That's correct. And this was not pre-Google, though. Google was like, Google existed. 
I, I also asked him, I was like, well, how do you put it into a Roth IRA? And he, you know what? That's actually a really interesting question about Googling things. Um, I, don't I, know. I thought it was pre-Google because I don't remember having a computer in my house. Oh, maybe I think we had AOL dial up, but I don't remember being able to Google it. But maybe I was able to Google back at the, in high school. I think you were. I think you were. Cause this oh, but I'm older. I'm older. So oh, when you were elder, sick, elder yeah, movie. I'm like an, the eldest millennial out there. <laughs> so like super senior. So I actually was in college when you were in high school. Okay, got it. Yeah. yeah. So when I was in high school, there was no Google. <laughs> Have access. I do think he, um, so my, my teacher told me um, some options, and I think he recommended Vanguard. Again, try to get them to sponsor the podcast. And <laughs> he, he got me into Vanguard. So I, I have, like, this ancient Vanguard Roth IRA product that, like, every time I call to get support, they're like, how do you have this? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. When I was 16. I don't know. Like... Is, it bad? Is it a bad one? Like, how do I get a better Was it your record? math teacher? What teacher was it? It was my economics teacher. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, think of, I mean, that's like, that was like $100,000. Yeah. I mean, at the time it was $3,000. But and yeah, but now you have a, 2008 yeah. financial crisis, it was like a dollar. But, and you kept it in, that was interesting. So what you, do you knew to keep it in? Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I knew if you touch it, things get bad. So I just Well, no, it. most, not a lot of people know that. A lot of people think, I, what I hear all the time, which is like the famous saying is, I'm going to take it out and I'll put it back in when it gets better. I'm like, can you call well, me when it gets me, better? Yeah, no, no, I didn't take it out. But I, what I will tell you, um, I was, I mean, I would still consider myself a pretty unsophisticated investor, mm-hmm. but um, I did get a little bit panicked. At the time of the market crash, I had saved $12,000. So I had $12,000 in my account when it crashed and it went down to like, I'm going to say less than 6000 And I um, sold within the account and reinvested into other um, mutual funds in the same account. Um, so it did rebound eventually. I didn't put it into cash, but I did for some reason think it would be a great idea to, like, <laughs> to rebalance it. Classes. Like the entire economy across the world was down. And I was like, this is my moment. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to switch it up. <laughs> hey, yeah. well you stayed in and that's more than most people to be honest. So, so that's fantastic. I'm so, so, okay. So I do still think you can probably do the Roth conversions when you get to retirement because you only have IRA and Roth. It's the, the issue you kind of run into is if you have the, um, non-deductible asset, and that's how you do those mega backdoor Roths. And the 401k is a non-deductible asset? Well, so typically when you're going to be doing the backdoor Roth, you're going to be moving money into your 401k after your pre-tax contribution as a non-deductible. And then from there converting, and because you're moving from non-deductible to the conversion, that's when you roll, roll, uh, run into the pro rata rule. So that's the non-deductible dollar that kind of throws things awry. And also, I think also tripping it up is that you have a 401k. I have to, I'd have to look up the rules for the pro rata, how you fall into pro rata, but it's, I think it's the non-deductible dollar and then having a workplace plan are there two issues. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize the workplace plan had anything to do with it. So that's, of course, you know, very interesting and very tax advantage to put it in the Roth. Yeah, so you can definitely, you can do raw, I'm almost positive you can do Roth conversions down the road once you're done working, when you retire. So I can find that out for you. Um, I can get you some more info on the pro rata rule, but the pro rata rule is what trips up a lot of people to try and do the mega backdoor Roth. And the mega backdoor is the one where you put it into a regular Roth, a regular IRA and then convert it into a Roth. No, that's your regular, your traditional Roth conversion. The, the mega one is when you're using, so a 401k is a defined benefit plan in the IRC code. 
And so the limitation on the number of dollars that can be put into a defined benefit plan for 2019 is 56,000 total. And that includes the employee and the employer dollars total. But your limit for taking a tax deduction on it for 2019 is gonna be, um, God, I'm blanking on the number, 19,000. And then whatever your company matches. So let's just say your company match brings you up to 26,000, right? They throw you 7,000 for the company match. So then you have another $30,000 that you can put into the 401k before you reach the defined benefit contribution, the total limit for that type of plan. And so those dollars can typically, not all plans allow it, it depends on the plan document. Usually with companies that have high income earners, they allow for it in the plan because it's an alternative saving mechanism. So then you dump in 30,000 as a non-deductible contribution, meaning it goes in after tax, but it's not a Roth, it's non-deductible. Uh, it's similar to doing a non-deductible IRA. And so then once those non-deductible dollars are in there, that 30,000, let's just say you do it in one shot just for simplicity purposes, you can then do a conversion, an in-plan conversion on those dollars and move it into a Roth inside of the 401k. So I actually do that now. You're doing that now? I do that now. How are you not running into the pro rata rule? Are you so, immediately converting it when you get it in? Um, I am, in, uh, so, it, it, so what I do is I contribute to both the pre-tax and after-tax section of my 401k and every year I target to hit the max number that you just mentioned. The 56, you're doing 56,000 total. Yes. And are you maxing out the 19,000 is all pre-tax? Yes. Okay. And then the, the, uh, the next amount is going in as a non-deductible. Correct. And then when are you doing the conversion? So as soon as it gets into my uh, 401k, then I do a, I, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the back door because I, the mega back door, I think there's a mega mega back door for certain benefit plans that allows me to immediately convert it. Um, it's, it's um, convert it in and put it into my Roth IRA. And everything's held at the same account, correct? So your Roth, you, do you have a separate Roth, the Vanguard Roth that we were referencing that's 100000 you also have Roth monies inside of your 401k? I don't have Roth monies inside of my 401k. So when you're, you're immediately, are you immediately rolling it out of your 401k plan into your Vanguard Roth? Yes. It's actually considered a withdrawal. Yeah. Why aren't you doing it just inside of the plan and keeping it all in the 401k? You know, I, I, I don't know that I have an answer to that, except that I already had a Roth IRA account. And so it only allowed me to roll it into that Roth IRA account. Again, my dinosaur account that I'm stuck with. <laughs> okay, so then, so you do the non-deductible into your defined benefit plan and then roll it out rather than doing a non-deductible IRA. I think so. I don't know what non-deductible means, but I'm Okay, so, so non-deductible, okay, so non-deductible, it's a great, sorry, that's a great question. Non-deductible means that you're not taking a tax break on it. So your traditional money going right. into a 401k is a reduction dollar for dollar, right, right with your income. Non-deductible means it goes in after tax, but it's not a Roth dollar. So that the original, the, let's just say you put $1,000 in non-deductible, it goes into the account. You're not going to be taxed again on that $1,000, but the growth on that $1,000, so if it turns into two, you pay taxes on the gain of $1,000. Yes, exactly. So those, I call them after-tax, non-deductible dollars are put into my after-tax 401k, immediately withdrawn and put into my Roth IRA, where they have had no growth, so there's no taxable event. Right, because it stays in a money market or cash account before you convert it. Correct. Perfect. And you're not running into the pro rata rule? No. 
because you have no other non-deductible dollars because you're Correct. immediately converting them. Correct. Okay. I actually don't. So this is actually a point of great interest for me in terms of kind of um, uh, loopholes and economic yeah. um, accessibility for people. I find it really interesting that the benefit plan that I am able to participate in allows me to do this, but not all benefit plans, not all 401ks are set up this way. Yeah, no, because this is the issue is, and it's interesting because um, I have met several advisors that have never even heard of this. And yes. I know about it from working at an investment bank, really. I didn't learn, you know, I didn't learn about it doing the CFP, to be honest. I learned about it working in an investment bank with a highly comped individuals and they have it in the benefit plan, right? They have it, they, they have the plan document in the 401k to allow for it. It's allowed in the IRC like code, which is the IRS code, right? But the plans don't have to allow for it. And a lot of them don't, even when they have highly calm people. Like I've dealt with doctors who aren't able to do it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, Barb. And I, um, I it's, it's, just, it's a really interesting thing that like some people have access to it and some people don't. I'm personally very interested in access and yeah and I think that it's it's in the code for a reason and you know the you know what I think the worst part about it is is when you call the 1-800 number to talk to like when I call and do a conference call about someone's work plan to see if they have availability to do it because I know it's I know it's legal right I know the IRS allows it for the overarching plan structure not per per company right is that the people on the 1-800 number have no idea what I'm talking about well, can we also talk about the fact that there's no like word for it? So I can't just call it a something because there's already a mega backdoor. So it's like a super mega secret handshake backdoor. Yeah, I know. I, I, so I'm like glad that we brought that up because there is really no word for it. Like it's not a Roth conversion. A, a traditional Roth conversion is you go from IRA monies to a Roth IRA, right? Traditional IRA to Roth IRA. That's a typical Roth conversion. It has to be done by December 31st. And they've changed the rules on that a little bit. Um yeah, this is a workplace plan taking advantage of the maximum amount of dollars allowed in a defined benefit plan and using that to your advantage to basically, because of our, your, our ages, front load a Roth because your regular Roth you wouldn't be eligible to do because of your income. And if you were eligible to do a regular Roth and go in the front door, right, it would be, I think it's $6,000 for 2019. And this right. way you can put, just using the example I used earlier, you could put 30000 in it. Right. Which is incredible. Incredible. Yeah, and I love the Roth conversion. I did it for my sister, and we moved when she was in law school, the poor girl. I had her maxing, almost maxing out. I had her putting a lot of money away given her income when she was working at her last job. So she ended up with 60000 saved when she went to law school. So I converted the entire amount over 20000 a year, and she paid nothing in tax. So she paid nothing going into the plan because it went in pre-tax, right? And she paid nothing on the conversion because she had no income. But that's a tr that's a standard Roth conversion. But this is different, and it depends on who you talk to. It it's given. I've been told it's a mega backdoor Roth. That but there's all different fancy handshakes and slang for it. But it's a really interesting concept. But I agree with you. It's not. I think that everyone with a four hundred one k should have access to it. But I think it has to do with the it has to do with the plan document and also who they're using as the company that's administrating the four hundred one k. Right. They have to be able to understand the complexity of this. I do, yeah, it must be that there's a lot of like complexity, extra paperwork. It, it's uh, there's clear. a ton of, I'm sure there's a, our industry is, has so much paperwork. It's unbelievable. So I'm sure the paperwork around it isn't worth it for certain companies to, because 401ks are expensive as a, as a cost to the company. You know, it's good to, for uh, offering it as a benefit for retention, but it is a cost. And I'm sure every time you add one of these bells and whistles into your plan, it costs more. Agreed. And I mean, they have a special phone line. It, it's definitely, 
um, extra, but the, when I first found out that I had access to this, I almost didn't believe it. And you're like, this sounds too good to be true. And it also like the first thought I had was that how unfair is this, that like the mega wealthy have access to this benefit. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I must say it's true. The plans that allow for it really have a very highly comped employee base because it's not worth, you know, if your income is 40,000, you're not going to be throwing 30 into the 401k non-deductible side, right? Exactly. Exactly. So it tends to be for a, a much larger institution that has a very highly comped uh, workforce, or at least enough of those highly comped where it's, they want to have this as an incentive, as another way to, to save for retirement. So besides, so you get the restrictions, you have a, a really very sophisticated 401k plan, um, and you're taking full advantage of it, which is awesome. Um, you, what about any other, do you have any other deferred compensation programs at work? We do have the capability to do deferred compensation. Um, I'm using a rabbi trust. I have no idea. Okay. For me, it's like super science. I have no idea what that is. Okay. So a rabbi trust, so, so typically when there's highly comped, another option besides stock options and uh, the non-deductible contribution and then the immediate Roth conversion option um, a def- uh, is additional de- deferred comp can sometimes, not always, but be a rabbi trust, which is essentially where they let you defer more compensation into another vehicle. And it's a, it's a very complex topic, so I'm just going to keep it high level. But essentially, um, it goes into, it's held in trust for you and depending on how you choose to, and you have to make the election, some companies a year, in, I think usually a year in advance for the next year. Um, and then you have to choose when you make that election, how you want it paid out, like in five years or in retirement. And there's a lot of rules around surrounding how it's going to be, how, how it will function. It's all invested, but the downside of those are usually it's an asset of the company. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's something to consider. I don't always, I mean, sometimes I recommend them, sometimes I don't, but it's something to really think about because if it's a, if you're getting deferred compensation in another option as uh, the form of a, it's, I think it's traditionally called a rabbi trust. Um, the thing to be careful with is it is an asset of the company. So if there was an issue with the company, they can use those monies. Wow. So yeah, you can look into that and let me know what it is. If there's another, another option for you. Hours, you have to, you have to make the election kind of during open enrollment. So at the, at the end of the year, kind of predicting for the following year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not that it's not a very flexible option. It's not like the 401k where you can call up and say I want to reduce my contribution. Right. Yeah, you have to make the election the year the year earlier and then you have to choose how you want it paid out and when. But it's worth looking into because if you're going to have if you think you're going to have a big year, it helps you um, just like in the name, it helps you defer more of your compensation, right? Like another saving mechanism for you. Yeah, I'll definitely look into that. That's really helpful. And very out of sight out of mind. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Hide hide your money so far that you so far that you never know you have it. Five years. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I like. I really do believe in the out of sight, out of mind. It really makes it much easier because you're not tempted to spend it. Agreed. Okay, so we've covered your 401k. Um, You have restricted stock options. You're going to look into see if you have what kind of deferred compensation you have, and we can take that offline and, and figure that out. Um, because as you said, it will, it wouldn't be until the end of the year when they open up that window to elect for it. What else is going on in your life in terms of your personal finance? Hmm. I can't think of anything really. Um, a little uneventful, uh, other than buying the house. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a big thing. And that's another way to increase your net worth, right? Cause you did, did you do 20% down? We did 20% down. Fantastic. Um, can I ask what the value was? 
The 20% or the full amount? The full amount. So we purchased the house for $2.185 million. So yeah, you're building your net worth is fantastic. And then what is your what is your plan? I'm just interested. What is your plan depending on how this year goes in terms of your income? Because you you are you're already set up to do the 401k, right? So you're already going to be maxing out that deferred uh, defined benefit limit, right? Right. And so let's just say you have a good, do you, do you get paid out quarterly on the bonus structure or? My bonus is just once a year. Okay. So that happens in the first quarter of the year. And it's pretty much always the same amount. My incentive um, compensation is mostly coming from my stock units that okay. can flex. Can flex. Okay. I so you have a specific plan. And then, because I would say, so besides your 401k and your traditional IRA and your Roth, do you have an emergency fund? I do. Um, well, I also have a couple of brokerage. Okay. That's uh, what I was going to ask about. Accounts. Yeah. I have a couple of brokerage accounts. I think that um, in, in total, they add up to. Um, a little bit less than three hundred thousand okay. dollars, and then um, and then I have uh, I kind of have like a, a access to money that I have at all times, and and actually I, I kind of play it a little fast and loose when it comes to um, access to to capital um, because I feel that I'm pretty young. Generally speaking, when the when the market is doing well, I don't keep a lot in cash, but I've been feeling a bit nervous about the market for the last eight months or so. So I have about. Fifty to eighty thousand dollars just in cash in an account, and that would cover, um, as I mentioned earlier, my expenses are like five to six thousand dollars a month. Yep. So it would cover um, more than six months worth of expenses. I think that's fantastic, and I know everyone always hates the fact that emergency fund makes no money. But if there was, God forbid, an emergency, and now as a homeowner, there could be a major expense that it comes up. So I, I really like the idea of having cash always. Yeah, I agree. I do think that my that is one thing that really shifted with purchasing my home. Um, I immediately put fifty thousand dollars into an account and was like, "This money will never make any money for me, but it will always give me peace of mind." Always give you peace of mind and prevent a future problem, right? It'll prevent you having to sell from your brokerage account in a down market because something happened with the house, like the water heater or the roof or something major, you know? Yes. Houses are expensive. Really expensive money pits. Like they really, yes. <laughs> I, my property this summer, it was like the ceiling, there was a leak and then the ceiling, I didn't catch the leak. So then the ceiling kind of caved in and then the water heater went and then the gutters had to be redone besides the roof. And then there was a pipe. It was just like everything happened in like a three week period. I know. And you can't really like, even the best accountant, I think, would struggle to keep track of all of the little, like, nicks and bruises of owning a home. So you yeah. just have to hope that the value of the home increases to, like... A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. And electricians and plumbers are expensive. Well, they're ex especially expensive, I would say, in San Francisco, where, where we have a declining middle class, but that's more of a socioeconomic topic. Yes. And they're more expensive when you call for an emergency. They're very expensive when you're crying. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. They, they, the price goes up if it's like Saturday <laughs> night. It's more. It's more expensive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so it sounds like you're in doing. I like like everything you're doing. The one thing I just I wanna. You're not running into the pro rata rule, um, which is good. And I'm just wondering what your savings ratio is, but I, because I think with your income, what you're doing a good job is the key for you is just going to be tax efficiency and taking advantage of all the different saving strategies that you get through work. That'll be your best option, obviously. Right. Um, and then just continue to keep saving. 
Yeah, I think that um, really last year, which um, was the the highest earning year I've, I've ever had, and as I mentioned, I don't expect this year to be a particularly high earning year, was really when, and, and also with the new tax law in effect, I really felt walloped. You know, um, I was I've been I was really shocked to kind of do the numbers and realize um, what my tax burden was going to be for 2018. And and, so and did you file single? Or you're filing single? I file single, yes. Okay. I'm unmarried, file single. And no dependents. Okay. Yeah, um, it's going to be... Except big, my cat. Except your cat. <laughs> Doesn't count. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be a big tax year. Yeah, so this was actually um, the first year that I've had to prepay um, my taxes. And um, it was just, it was really surprising. And I think um, for, for, for me... I always thought about people that made, you know, $700,000 a year and kind of thought of like, oh, well, they're, um, they're just so wealthy that like, they don't even think about the tax burden. But the reality is like, I'm, I'm pretty young and this is one of the first years that I've had this type of income. And I was really surprised by. Can I ask what you were doing estimated? So they put you on it for the whole year for all of 18? Um, yes. So my, by, by mid year, it was, it was clear that, um, I was going to be, in a position where I would be paying penalties if I didn't prepay. Um, yeah. And just so for our listeners know, what happens is if they anticipate the government doesn't mind, the IMRS doesn't mind if they owe you money, but they do not like if you owe them money. And if they anticipate that you're going to owe them a lot of money and you're not going to be, they don't want to wait for it. So if they, your did your HR let you know or your accountant? My tax, I have a person that does my taxes and I call him a tax advisor, but mostly he just tells me I owe money. (laughs) And this is what your check is, you're going to write the check for. Yeah, start saving now. Yeah. So yeah, I know the government does not like to wait for their tax dollars. So they put you on, he put you on with starting in September for your quarterly or yours wasn't quarterly, but you started paying then. Yeah. He just made me prepay half of what he estimated I would owe in April. Okay. And so what do you, what do you think you're going to owe on having a $700,000 a year? Oh, I don't even, I, the total number is, 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 you know, obviously for me, at least as someone who's more of a penny pincher who, you know, worked three jobs to put myself through college. Um, it's, it's shocking to look at the number, but it's also shocking to look at the other number. No, but I think it's good to, I think it's good to, for people to hear, because I I agree with you. I think the concept is if you make 700,000, like you have so much money, you don't have to worry about it, but it's a big number for the tax bill. And especially when you're kind of coming from a place where just a few years ago, you didn't have it. Yeah. Less than a hundred thousand dollars a year. And so, um, for me and also kind of coming from a background where I didn't have a lot of economic financial sophistication, um, every now and then I feel quite lonely um, thinking about how to deal with the great fortune that I've had. Yeah, because you can, and you can't, and that's why I love the podcast because you can't talk about it. Yeah, a lot, especially. Oh man, especially uh, women. You know, I coach my employees all the time to be open with me about how important finances and their compensation is to them, um, because I find that with my, you know, with my male employees, they're happy to tell me that they demand a ten thousand dollar pay rate increase. Yeah. But my ladies, you know, they kind of stare at the floor and, you know, twiddle with their fingers and I can tell they're agitated, but I can't tell what, you know, is it the fight, you know, what is motivating them? What do they need? What do they want? Um, but, but I find that like, man, it would be nice if someone would coach me the same way. Yeah, absolutely. No, cause I think it's important. Cause as you said, a lot of the women that we've had on the women that we've had on the show that have had really banner years that have gotten themselves to really awesome 
compensation started at the bottom and started not making that amount of money. And it's a shame that you can, I mean, it's a hard thing to do to go from, you know, to quadruple your salary or even more than that. And to not be able to kind of celebrate it and talk about it, I think is a bit of a shame. Well, and then also in the middle of trying to celebrate it, I'm, you know, thinking about selling a kidney or two to pay my tax bill for this last year. Yeah. So t- can you tell me what the number was? Is it 300 something? Um, yeah. you remember? I don't know. So I don't know the, the, the total number because a lot of that is with, withheld in my, in, in my, your, in your pay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. But my total number that I'm going to owe out of pocket is going to be about $50,000. Yep. That sounds about right. So the good thing is the company, considering what your salary, what your total comp is, um, I don't think it's going to make you feel any better, but considering what your total comp is, that's not a terrible out of pocket. I I agree. But actually uh, one of the things that I do in my, I think it's W3, W2, W something. I basically, if if, if they have an option to like, um, do an extra withholding claim negative one, I claim negative one. I'm like, there is no person here. There's (laughs) no dependent. There's no me. I don't exist. Like, charge me all the taxes because I would significantly prefer at least in my current position that my company withhold as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Cause no one likes writing a check, right. For that amount no of the IRS. Writing. Yeah. I will say I don't mind um, if the government owes me a little bit of money, but it, um, it is not fun when you owe the government. No, I don't mind. I actually agree with you. I don't mind if they want to send me like $1,500, 2000. <laughs> it's like found money, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind until they send it to me and then I hide it somewhere. Yes. Um, but no, nobody likes writing, getting a call from the accountant and being like, congratulations, you really hit it out of the ballpark last year. You did an awesome job at work. You need to write a check for 50000 to the government. I need you to be my tax person. My tax person never tells me, congratulations, you're doing really well, and that's why you have to pay all of this Oh, money. that they should. I feel like they should lead with that, right? Like, you kicked ass last year. You hit your highest numbers ever. So the government just wants to be your partner there. <laughs> They want their peace. They want to enjoy. Yeah. They want to enjoy with you. <laughs> very, very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think this was a really, a really great session. So I will do a little digging for you. Um, we find out about your deferred comp and I can take a look at that for you. Awesome. Will do. And then we'll, we'll figure it out from there, but you're on the right track and you're doing, you're doing a great job and tell your account next time to give you some kudos first. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank All you right. So, much so for that. we'll, um, For our listeners out there, thank you for listening. And if you want to check out our classes, you can find them at www.planancial.com. And that's it for tonight. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.